Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including gathering times and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Jennifer Roth. And good morning, church. My name is Jennifer. I am one of the pastors here. And as we get started, can we just acknowledge that there is something gorgeous going on in here? I'm so grateful to our worship and our tech team for creating space for us. Uh, I've heard so many comments uh, this weekend, and it truly is uh, beautiful. Not just uh, decorations for Advent, but uh, experience of Advent. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. Some of you may even be here because you were in town visiting family, or if you're visiting us for some other reason, we're glad you're here. If you're joining us via live stream, we're also glad glad that you're with us that way. Hey, we have a rose next to our cross. That rose signifies new life in Christ. This is Tesla, who a couple weeks ago gave her life to Jesus. Can we celebrate that together? I am struck today that the Bible says that the angels rejoice when even one lost soul finds their way to Jesus. And so as we celebrate that each week or when we see a rose, we're joining with the angels in those celebrations. So last weekend, we finished the Ezekiel series. Uh, Rob wrapped us up with the explanation that the last few chapters there in Ezekiel were a foreshadowing of the coming presence of our God, of Emmanuel, God with us. And while we did wrap up that series, isn't that a fitting transition into our Advent series when we are celebrating the coming or the looking ahead to Emmanuel, uh, God with us? Each year, we like to try to consider a fresh perspective on this well-known story. And so Rob and our worship team spent some days in listening and in prayer and just asking God, what's your heart for how we communicate this story uh, this year in 2022? And the result of that is what you see here, this theme of the realm of glory. As we look at the season of Advent through the lens of the angelic encounters that humanity has to usher in the coming of the Messiah. See, angels pass back and forth between heaven and earth. In Genesis, in the story of Jacob, and again in the book of John, in the story of the birth of Christ, we see this image of a stairway between earth and heaven that the angels are traveling up and down. We don't worship angels, but we pay attention to their message because their message was bringing in something important that we need to know about the world. Many depictions of angels are a little bit like this. Little cute cherub, you know, the Cupid who has an arrow and brings love to the world. And as cute as that is, that's not an accurate biblical rendition of an angel. (laughs) Not that we know what they might look like, but they're a little bit more fierce than that. So, So maybe it's the more mature icon of an angel that gives a little bit picture that this is a little bit more transcendent or mysterious than we might understand. But for this series, we're gonna need a different perception of angels. Think about Balaam and his donkey when they encountered an angel with a giant sword that struck fear in their heart. Or Daniel was praying and when the angel Michael finally came to him, he said he'd been battling in the heavenly realms for 21 days. Friends, this is not a cherubic, this is not an icon, this is a fierce war warrior angel who is coming to usher in the Messiah. See, the angels of Advent are fierce, 
and they're loyal and they are battle tested and they are worshiping warriors who were sent by God to bring his promised Messiah to the earth through their messages, through their protection, through dreams in the night and through the ways that they were worshiping, they were a major part of this bringing of Christ to the earth. God sent them in order to help usher in the Messiah into a dark world. And so through the stories of the angelic encounters with a barren priest, a baffled young virgin, a loyal fiance, and even just common shepherds, we are going to be exploring the story of Advent through the eyes of the angels. And, and why? Why would we do this? Here's what one author has to say about why we pay attention to these angelic encounters during the Advent season. It says their presence and message did precisely then what we desire now for ourselves and our people. They transformed the vision of ordinary folks going about their ordinary routines by revealing to them that the living God was in fact entering their world. And isn't that what we need now? Ordinary people going through our ordinary routines needing to be reminded that the living God actually did enter our world and impacts the way that we live our lives. As we look at this, we're gonna talk a bit about the word transcendent. And so I want us to just look at the definition of that because it's gonna come up repeatedly and I wanna make sure we're on the same page of what we're talking about when I or other pastors in the preaching team later in the month talk about the transcendent. So here's a definition of transcendent. It's something that is of God, existing apart from and not subject to the limitations of the material universe, surpassing the ordinary, exceptional. So this experience that we're seeing is that the transcendent, the angelic, the divine, these divine encounters, they're beyond our understanding, they're beyond our expectations, and they're beyond the realm of our physical world, and yet they are no less real. And so we're going to look at how that impacts the people in these stories. I'd like you to grab a Bible, a pew Bible, and for this one, you're a phone app isn't actually going to work. So if you can grab a pew Bible, if not, you can watch someone else. And I, I, I just want you to have a tangible kinesthetic experience here. So go ahead and grab it. I know you don't always do that, but today I'm saying go ahead and do it. So we're going to turn to the page between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's right around page 797. Okay, when you have it, hold it up and show me that you've got it. Okay, yep. Yeah, okay. Yep, some of you have it. You've got it. You've got that page between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay. This page, this single page, represents 400 years of no recorded encounters with God. No prophets, no presence, no angelic visits, nothing. Silence. 400 years of no voice of God from a people who had been delivered miraculously from slavery, who'd had God and his prophets speaking to them throughout the years, who had won battles, who had rescued and who had redeemed. 400 years, that's 13 generations. If a generation is around 30 years. Think of your great, 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 and on and on and on ancestors. And from their time until now, there had been no knowledge of God in the earth. There had been no no presence of God in the earth, no recorded prophets, no recorded encounters with the divine. That would be like from the time of the earliest settlers in Jamestown in America until today, 
No word from God. And this is the barren season that we enter as we begin to hear this story. Israel is occupied by Rome, ruled by the Roman Emperor Augustus, and being governed by Herod, the king of the Jews, who we know was a horrible guy. Soldiers are in their cities. It's a dismal season of fear and rebellion and apathy and greed. Sound familiar? (laughs) It was a barren season. And it was into this barren season that comes the largest concentration of angels found in scripture. Ending the 400-year drought of any recorded interactions between heaven and earth comes this barrage of the transcendent in the lives of humans. I've invited uh, my husband Jeff to come up and read the passage for us today. It's from Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, if you want to follow along, and he'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Today's reading is a little bit longer than usual because we want you to tell a story. And we invite you to try to see what Zachariah saw. We invite you to try to feel what Elizabeth felt. Luke 1, 5 to 25. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife also is well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. 
Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zachariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zachariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Thank you, Jeff. This is God's word and a story of a human encounter with the transcendent, with the angelic, with someone that God had sent, an angel, to a priest, a priest and his wife who were both from the priestly lines up their ancestry, they traced priestly lines, who were righteous in God's eyes, who were careful to obey all of God's commands, and yet they were barren. Not just barren from not having children, but his faith was barren and his people were barren. And for 400 years of silence, the nation had been barren and he was faithful to the religious task. Let's honor Zechariah and the other priests for the fact that after 400 years of not hearing from God, they were still doing what God had told them to do as priests of his temple. And yet... Did he go into the temple that day with any expectation of hearing from God? Of having a divine or an angelic encounter? I wonder, I wonder if he went in that day and he was faithfully indifferent. Perhaps even obediently dispassionate or sincerely unbelieving. I wonder if this seasoned priest had some seasoned unbelief in his life, not because he was a bad person or a bad follower of God, but because for so long there had been no record of hope, had he even forgotten that there was anything to hope for other than the continuing of the traditions. Did he go into the temple that day with zero expectation of meeting from God? And I wonder how many of us walked into this sanctuary today with zero expectation of actually hearing from God, of meeting with the Holy Spirit of the living God. Some of us came with expectation, but some of us, like Zachariah, have perhaps had it a long time since we have heard from God since we have felt his presence or sensed that he actually took any interest in our lives or our concerns or our pains or our struggles. I wonder if we are faithfully indifferent. If as seasoned Christ followers, we also perhaps have some subconscious seasoned unbelief. Like Zachariah, do we maybe have daily or weekly or seasonal rhythms of faith, coming to church, worshiping with other believers, maybe even reading our Bible and praying, and yet all in rote, just going through the motions with no expectation because it has been so long since we've had hope that we don't even remember that there was something to hope for that was different than just doing the things that Christians do. Maybe we say we believe and yet our lives expose that there are things that we don't believe. Perhaps, yes, God is good. Yes, God loves me. But no, I don't expect him to change that relationship with my spouse. 
I don't expect him to heal the wounds between my children and I. I don't expect him to help smooth out this new relationship with a step-parent. I don't expect him to give me wisdom about how to be a step-parent and have a step-child. Maybe I'm not satisfied at work or there are financial burdens or there are health struggles or perhaps it's an addiction or a compulsion that just cripples you. And yes, God comes for other people. And yes, I believe he is God. And yes, I'll come and worship him. But I've actually lost any hope that he might intervene in this area in my life where I need him most because I don't have expectation. Perhaps you are in your own desert of spiritual barrenness with a flat spirit and a numb faith that has become a chronic condition. And all you can do is go through the motions. And can I just say thank you for going through the motions. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being faithful. And I believe God has more. We believe that God is one who speaks and whose presence is powerful and who wants to intercede on our behalf and intervene in our lives. And so we want to be people who live with expectation because into the barren desert of Zachariah's world, God dispatches the angel Gabriel and encounter with the transcendent in order to lead Zachariah to both humility and hope. Because I believe that encounters with the transcendent lead to humility and to hope. And into our barrenness and our desert, God sends his Holy Spirit to lead us into both humility and hope. What does this look like for Zechariah? See, in Zechariah's story, his first response was fear, and understandably so. In most of the encounters with we, that we read about in the Bible about angels, the first words out of the angel's mouth are... Fear not, because it is quite an overwhelming, startling thing to have a transcendent being suddenly appear in front of you, and Zechariah is afraid. But out of that fear, he hears and receives a promise. And I don't know if you heard it as Jeff read the story, but it was a rich and a deep promise. Not only would his wife, who was beyond childbearing age, give them a child and they would have a joy of that child in their home, but that child had a promise on his life, and he would play a part in ushering in the Lord, the Messiah, the kingdom of God. This was a huge promise. And yet, because of the barrenness in Zechariah's life, because of his lack of expectation when he entered the temple that day, because he was functioning on rote obedience, he missed the promise. And he doubted it and he questioned it. See, expectation is ready for the promise, even if it is beyond our understanding. But rote obedience misses the promise because we're not even looking to see if God is gonna intervene in the places in our life and in our world that need, desperately need his intervention. And so as his second response after fear was questioning and doubt, he was rebuked. I am Gabriel, said the angel. I stand in the very presence of God. Friends, can I just say that if I'd been in Zachariah's place, I probably would have asked some questions too. After having no encounters with God or in the angelic or even the prophetic for 400 years, I'd probably say, hey, I don't understand what's going on here. Can you explain it to me a little bit more? <laughs> and yet the prophet Isaiah tells us this, that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts that his ways are higher than ours and his thoughts are higher than ours and sometimes an encounter with the transcendent is the very thing we need to understand that we don't understand very much. <laughs> and it's humbling 
Because we need to recognize that in our humanity, there are things that God knows and that God can do that go beyond what we have ever experienced or seen or even thought that we could expect or hope for. And so as he was rebuked, he was told that he would be silent and unable to talk through the course of his wife's pregnancy, nine or 10 months. And one of the questions that rose up for me as I was reading and studying and preparing was, why silence? Why was that the consequence? Why was that what the angel said when Zechariah questioned? And so I dove into scripture and I said, okay, where else is silence given as a consequence? Does God say that these lips will be made silent or this mouth will be made silent or this person will be made silent? Here are the things that I found. The reasons for silence. Uh, Flattery, arrogance and pride, lying and deceit, Contempt, perverse talk, ignorant talk, foolish people. (laughs) Bottom line, it boils down to God bringing silence when we don't know what we're talking about. (laughs) Or when we're in sin, or we've been encased by bitterness and offense, when we're trying to deceive. So maybe in this case, God knew that Zechariah, in order to receive the promise and live into the fullness that God had for him, needed to be silent. So rather than hearing himself try to explain this angelic encounter, he would sit in humility until God brought his promise to fulfillment and fruition. And then, when all of that promise was fulfilled and the baby was named John, and only then would Zechariah's voice be loosed to praise the Lord. And I wonder if some of us might also benefit from the gift of silence when we swirl around in our own words and our own explanations and our own opinions and our own arguments and God would say, be silent. There is something I have to offer that you cannot hear when your head and your heart are so full of your own voice. Humility. I think another reason for silence is because God knows that we live in a noisy world. We are bombarded by messages every day from every way. They ding in the notification in this device that we keep on our person, for better or for worse. They come through our computer screens, popping up advertisements when we don't want them, shows that we choose to watch. They come through billboards and magazines. They come through radio programs. It comes through people. There's constant noise. Our head and our heart are full of noise. In fact, we have lost the skill of being able to be bored. We don't know how to wait wordlessly, how to sit silently. This is evidence when you go in any waiting room anywhere and over half the people are on their phone because we as humanity don't know how to be silent. And it's only in silence that we can truly see and hear and understand who God is and who we are and begin to think less of ourselves and more of him. Because maybe silence is the way that God wants to get our attention so that he can rebuild hope in our hearts. Encounters with the transcendent lead to both humility and hope. As I've been preparing uh, this message, I have had some personal experiences that have led me to wonder about this whole journey of silence and and even a gift of silence. And so I wanna tell you a little bit of my story and then, then we'll come back and finish up with the text here. Two things. The first one is that I am a verbal processor. And if you don't know the difference, here's the difference. A verbal processor has to hear herself say words out loud in order to know what she thinks. She's figuring out what she thinks by talking about it. 
Now, if you are an internal processor, uh, like my husband, um, that's just a little marriage conference for you right there. If you're an internal process processor, what happens is you think everything through in your head. You've got it figured out and you don't open your mouth until you know what it is that you wanna say and what your opinion is and what you think and when you say it, it's what you mean. See, that's not what happens with me. When I say it, it's what I'm trying to figure out. And so I talk in circles and I, and I interact with others and sometimes even their response helps me understand what I think and it's this give and take. And lately, God's been convicting me that there's a blind spot in my life around being a verbal processor. Because sometimes, and don't hear me saying I think this is wrong, I think it's the way God created me. But sometimes in my efforts to try to figure things out, I'm actually leading other people into confusion because I'm saying more than one thing at the same time as I'm trying to figure out which one of them really lands in my heart as the thing that really resonates with me. Sometimes in my trying to process and figure things out, I feel to listen to the people around me. And sometimes in my desire to understand better, I actually fail to even listen or create space for God because I'm so busy trying to talk it out with others. And so God has been calling me to speak less and listen more and pay attention to when I try to process things and when I leave it silent and allow other people to have a word and allow God to have a word and allow my thoughts to be formed in a different way than what I'm used to. So that's one call to silence in my life. The other call to silence in my life is actually a physical reality that I have. And if you've been around here for long, you'll know, and when I talk about it, it gets worse, that I have an issue with my voice. Uh, I've had it for several years, it ebbs and flows, sometimes it's really bad and sometimes it's okay. Uh, but many of you may have noticed that there are times when I'm talking when my voice pinches up and it sounds like I'm about to cry, or it has breaks in the words that I'm trying to say and I have to kind of come back at it and try to say the word again, or um, even now you can just kind of hear it tightening up. So this is actually a diagnosed physical condition called spasmodic dysphonia, quite a name, right? Uh, and what it means is that my brain is sending signals to my my vocal cords to spasm and so that's what they're doing they're spasming and my whole throat muscles that are made actually just for swallowing are all working to try to push the words out so that you can hear them so that I can talk uh, so that I can communicate so I've known of this for seven or eight years and I, I got an initial consult and didn't do anything about it at the time and about a year ago it started to get worse and so I've actually just recently within the last month been up to the um, voice clinic at OHSU and one of the things I'll say is there is something that they can do for it, which I'm just so grateful for, because I know that there are those who live with chronic pain or chronic conditions that there is no cure or treatment for, and, and that's exhausting. And so I am grateful for what I'm able to do, but can I just say that I don't love what it is? Uh, because the fix for this is a Botox injection through the windpipe into your vocal cords. Enough said, especially for those of you who don't love needles. The gift of that is that, uh, and I don't understand all the medicals, so sorry for those of you who are medical, but Botox does something to the nerves that relaxes the vocal cords and will allow me to speak, or theoretically to speak smoothly for three or four months before I need another injection. What happens with the injections though, in order to make sure that you get enough Botox to be able to help you for three or four months, is that you're unable to talk for a amount of time. 
so ideally, and as they get to know me and they learn the dosages that work for me, I will not be able to talk for about a week and then I'm gonna be able to talk for about four months. But this first time, because they don't know how my body will respond to the Botox, I may not be able to talk for two to four weeks. So I've been thinking about silence. <laughs> I think my kids are maybe looking forward to silence, I don't know. Jeff's grandma used to say, God knows what you need. And I think, well, I guess he knew that I needed a rhythm and forced silence in my life. <laughs> it's humbling and it's hopeful. It's both at the same time. And like Zachariah, his silence was both humbling and hopeful. And the thing that I love about Zechariah's story is that his questioning did not cause God to withdraw the promise. Gabriel didn't say, I am Gabriel, I stand in the living presence of God and therefore you will not get the thing that God just said you were going to get. No, the promise stood, but Zechariah had to live through humility on his way to hope. And so I have two invitations for you this Advent season, two Advent invitations for us as a church family. The first one is this, that we would engage in this Advent season with expectation, that we would come to this place and to the other gatherings around with an expectation that this is not just a pretty story of God with us, but this is a life of God with us. And even if we can't feel him, even if we don't know what it means to hear him, even if we can't see him, will we expect that he is moving on our behalf and that an encounter with the transcendent could release both humility and hope in us. Perhaps this is just by reading some of the prophecies of the coming Messiah. Isaiah 9 would be a great place to start as a passage that builds that expectancy. Another way you might lean in with expectation is by doing Advent with your family. We do it here and we light a candle, but did you know that you could get five candles in your house? You could look up online Advent readings, print something out, and just do a simple Advent reading with your own family each weekend as we go through this season. Maybe it's praying a prayer to invite this transcendent, to invite what you don't understand, to pray and invite God to break through your seasoned unbelief and ask him for an epiphany this season that will shake you loose from those areas, even if they are unconscious of seasoned unbelief where you're just going through the motions. Maybe it's like the father in the story in Mark chapter nine who prayed, Lord, I believe, help now my unbelief. Did you know those two things can be true at the very same time? That we can absolutely 100% believe in God and absolutely 100% need him to help our unbelief because in our humanity, both of those things can be true at the same time. So the first invitation is to engage in this season with expectation and the second one, maybe a little bit harder, is to create some spaces for silence in your own life. Friends, silence is hard, even to the point of feeling painful sometimes. But it's in our silence that we see who God is and who we are and we can hear his voice in our life. So I don't know what this might look like for you. Maybe it's five minutes in the morning. Maybe it's driving in your car without your radio or Spotify playing. Maybe it's a midday pause, 10 minutes to take a walk around the block. Maybe it's 10 minutes at the end of the day when you get home. Time and space to wait wordlessly to sit silently and carve out time for the wonder, for the divine encounter, for the epiphany of Advent. Isaiah 30, 15 says this, this is what the sovereign Lord says. 
the Holy One of Israel, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. How countercultural is that? In quietness is your strength? That's not what our world says. Our world says that in powering up, in getting smarter, in getting stronger, in, in being more savvy or more strategic, that's your strength. And God says, no. It is in rest that you will find my salvation. It is in quietness that you will have strength. And so the invitation this Advent, friend, is to engage in this season with the expectation of a divine encounter, an epiphany that will expose and break through any seasoned unbelief in your life and in my life, and to allow spaces of silence, space for the transcendent power and presence of God to release both humility and hope in our lives. Let's pray. Father, you are holy and you are righteous and you are good. And we enter into this season where you gave us your son, this season of expectancy, this season of Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord, we want to be people who live with expectant hearts, whose mind and heart and eyes and ears are open to you, to see you and to notice you. God, we don't want to question when we see something that's beyond our understanding. We want to receive the promise and we want to agree with you and we want to be part of seeing your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So God, give us expectant hearts and in the places of silence that we will create and open, would you come and would you speak? Would you meet your people? Would you meet our hearts and would you reveal yourself again in this world? In your name, Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.